Will you speak very close to your mic so I can make sure it's picking you up? <sighs> You're number two. Great. You must be number one. Shane, 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 Shane. Shane, Shane, That's what Emma's mom does to me all the time. That's cute. That's really cute. Okay, how do we do a podcast? I don't know. Hello. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Bryn. And we're two writers who have a lot of questions. So to answer those questions, each episode we're inviting a fellow writer on to talk about their work. And other stuff. Welcome to Shitty First Drafts. Nailed it. It's like no time has passed. I know. We're consummate professionals. Mm -hmm. All right. So today we have Shane on our podcast and we're so excited um, to talk to Shane about some fiction and about... Kansas versus Missouri. And about all <laughs> kinds of other Kelly's stuff. in high school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Shane Stricker holds an MFA from West Virginia University and is a PhD candidate at the University of Tennessee. He has been awarded a fellowship to attend the Writing by Writers Workshop at Tamales Bay and the Mike and Frida Mullins Scholarship from the Appalachian Writers Workshop. His work appears in the Anthology of Appalachian Writers, Midwestern Gothic, Lake Effect, Full Men's Fiction, and other magazines and journals. Please welcome Shane! It's just like that. Wow, welcome well, to our you. house. It's wonderful to be in your dining room. Yes, <laughs> this is the new home of Shitty First Drafts. Yes, it we used to be in our dream. other dining room. Yeah, and for some reason when we moved here, we thought we were going to do it in the office, but like the office is like catch-all trash fire room, so. Yeah. But also the dining room is the center of like every house, right? The gatherings yeah. all come to the mm-hmm. dining room. That's yeah. where big discussions happen. Yeah. Wow, nice. that's wow. beautiful, like, you know. It's like some poetry. Symbolic reason for us to have this conversation here. And you're you. right. That's exactly why we do it. <laughs> <laughs> we made that decision intentionally. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I think I stole that from Joy Harjo. Is that why, did she talk about that when she talked about how having that big table in her office for class? She was talking about, I believe, an anthology that she did and why they called it what they called it. Uh, Don't okay. ask me the name mm, of it. I won't. Um, but it was about, no women, it was about <laughs> women gathering in the kitchen oh, and, okay. you know, discussing their stories and sharing, you know, what's going on with their days and helping each other and yeah. community and, yeah. Yeah, that's a real... That's nice a real thing and I don't know if it's regional or just or like gendered but I do find that a lot of my best some of my best conversations have happened like around a kitchen island or like leaned up against a kitchen Mm -hmm. counter you know for some reason whenever we have thrown parties everyone is either on the front porch or Or they're in the kitchen kitchen. and I don't know why we spend so much time making sure the the middle part (laughs) of the living room and the dining room look nice mm-hmm. never then, cleaning these areas again no yeah. it's like we even got like an extra couch because we're like we need oh, more people, seating yeah but, but we still stand. both sit on the one couch because uh-huh. it's way more comfortable there was a period of time where like we each had a couch mm-hmm. though but it, now now we just both sit do you on feel one. distant when you're on your own couch yeah there's just too much space <laughs> <laughs> and i felt it was better for our but relationship but also you know the one couch has a better view of the tv mm-hmm. and that's that's exactly what it's about yeah, yeah. I, truly yes <laughs> and it's, it <laughs> is very com- it doesn't look very comfortable but oh God, it is so comfortable. Very it looks comfortable. firm in the best possible way yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good it's good we got it from a local musician 
Hey. Yeah. It's a famous couch. His wife sold it on Facebook Marketplace (laughs) to us. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So, Shane, thanks for coming on our podcast. I appreciate y'all asking me. I'm so excited to talk to you about your work. Um, I... This is not a funny piece. It's not a funny piece. Um, I'm really disappointed in that. <laughs> well, um, this is actually an I mean, older piece. Humor in it, but okay, yeah. It's um so I so I've been thinking all day about you know what it's doing that I'm still trying to do right because mm-hmm. like you said mm-hmm. you know I try to be a little bit more funnier in my stuff now but I think one of the things that I've really been thinking about a lot recently is um, hope of hope mm-hmm. and what I mean is is like. If you look outside your door, right, mm-hmm. it's uh, just a dumpster fire. <laughs> and, um, you know, we get into these small moments in fiction where things can be happy for uh-huh. a minute, right? Um, but, like, even in this story, and we'll talk about it, I'm sure, further, but even in this story, like, when you get into it and you really start to think about it, it's it's she's in a moment where things are, even if things are happy in this moment, if you take two steps outside of that, you know, her life's kind of, it's kind of terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she she misses somebody she loves, and um, that's surrounding the whole story. And right. so, um, but I've been really thinking about that a lot recently with um, reading books and, you know, this kind of like post, post-modernism thing mm-hmm. and like what makes it up. And it seems to me that a lot of times it's, you know, you have these backdrops of like things that are just terrible and then people find like a seed or like a moment of happiness and that's the thing that they settle into. And you know everything's terrible outside of that yeah. seed but they can find it in that one little moment. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting to hear you say because I, 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 I've been outside of fiction for so long now. Like I, Poetry is 100% my focus. Right. Um, but f- from what I remember, it always felt, and maybe this is why I kind of veered away from fiction a little yeah. bit, but it always felt like you needed to cause harm or to your to your stories mm-hmm. or your characters or like put obstacles in their way. And for me, obstacle always was negative. Yeah. And so, and I was like, I don't want to write stories about people being miserable. I am miserable and I don't want to <laughs> do that, you know? And, or like put another character that I love through something bad. So it's really interesting to hear you talk about. And I, and I do think too, like even stories like in the zeitgeist as it were, you know, movies and things if you, if you look at it from a particular lens, what you see is the misery. But I do think that there are some things that... Yeah, the uh, the drive-by truckers say a thing, something like in one of their songs, that uh, the, the, the difference of a happy, you know, finding a happy ending is knowing where to draw the curtain, mm. basically. Mm. And um, I think that... So I've been selling trying to sell everybody on Goodbye Vitamin. Have you all <laughs> read that book? Nuh-uh. It's a beautiful book, and I... I don't I don't know the author's name because I'm terrible with writers' oh, names. But in the book, the main character, um, she's just had a fiance who like just they packed up their house to move or their apartment to move into another apartment, mm-hmm. and uh, he packs his stuff separately. And then at the end, she, he's like, "No, well, you're going to the new apartment." Mm-hmm. Oh shit! Her dad has Alzheimer's or dementia, mm-hmm. um, and she's basically she's she doesn't have anywhere to go, so she goes home and. Throughout the course of the of the story, you know that um, like he, he's going to a place where he's not going to know anybody, yeah. or he's going to a place where he's going to die. Um, but ultimately, like this family comes together in these positive moments, uh, and she focuses on these positive moments mm. um, uh, to bring like this this light to the situation. You know, like about 
18 pages later, yeah. everything's falling apart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but, she, but yeah, she's willing. And so that's when I say hope of hope, I'm talking about that kind of thing. But so does yeah. the story stop before those 18 pages? It does. Pages? Okay. It absolutely yeah. does. But so it lets you draw your own conclusions. I think, I think it just, it wants you to focus on, you know, that there, there are these bright spots. That yeah. the story is about the bright spots. I think yeah. so. Well, yeah, well, I think too, like the thing you just said that, like a happy ending depends when you draw the curtain. I mean, I think, I mean, to be really optimistic, also a sad ending, it depends on where yeah. you draw the curtain. So I don't know. I, but I also never thought of writing fiction as like destroying characters' lives or anything because I, yeah. I never came to it as like, okay, I have a character in mind. They're great and perfect. Yeah. And they have so much going for them. What kind of shit can I put them through? I, I, like I come to it first with like a flaw. That I want to explore and figure out how to test it or something like, I don't know. I just never saw it that way that you yeah. you're but thinking you've of that it. Advice, right? Like the the put obstacles in front of your characters, and right? Make them go right. As much shit as possible. Basically. Yeah, I think it's just like a very like entry level understanding of fiction. And for yeah. me, I was I like I've always read and enjoyed fantasy mm -hmm. kinds of things, and so those stories are about overcoming. Or the stories I found myself most drawn to are about overcoming. Um, sometimes literal obstacles. Literal, sometimes literal obstacles. Yeah, like. Yeah. But I'm also thinking about like when I was writing fiction, I was also a lot younger. But I was writing like, like idealized self insert fiction, where mm -hmm. like it was like this character who's like not me, but like the me I wish I was. Yeah. You yeah. know, like she had red hair and she had freckles and she was feisty and always said what was on her mind like you and described her, name was her clothes Lily. like very yeah and like detailed. you know like she was clothes, everything i wanted know. to be yeah. just like and and then i would make her go on adventures like i never wrote stories about male protagonists because i was just writing these like fantasies for myself basically yeah, i love that that's good practice i never i almost always write male protagonists and i don't know well i say i don't know why but I think it's because I, I write to understand or yeah. I write for some sort of like cathartic release sure, or something. Yeah. And so I'm always like, man, what are they up to? <laughs> I'm going to write one and put them in this situation. And let's see, like, by the course of me writing it, like how this person's going to get through it. Mm -hmm. Like, that's mm -hmm. how I find my like hope of hope thing yeah. is like there's misery, but also like how can that person still like see the light kind of and like feel mm -hmm. contented in some and sort like of if way. They, if they can get through it, maybe so can I kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you said you start with like a, a situation or a flaw that you want to work out? Usually it's like, a, it's it grows off of like a situation that's happened like in yeah, my right, life right. or that I've heard of. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to make them 20 years older or... Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I'll change it a little bit. Sometimes but. the world just gives you great stuff. Mm. Oh, does it ever? I uh, <laughs> I went to go visit my brother and his family about uh, I don't know um, right before Christmas break I think or right right before Christmas and um, I got my stuff up on the on the porch and um, I'm about to go inside and I turned around. There's a school bus pulled up, so I kind of turned around. And a kid flips me the bird. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the window's down, right? So I, I look at him. I go, really? He shook his head yes and flipped me off again. He Amazing. said, this is happening. <laughs> the kid knew what he wanted way more than I did. I love that. That's hilarious. And just thinking like... Like seeing that in a movie or something, like how perfect that would be to just like someone who's already having a shit day. Like, yep. yes, I mean this. Fuck you. <laughs> well, I wasn't planning on writing about it, and I got in bed that night, and um, 
you know, I was at my brother's house. I didn't have a TV or anything, so mm-hmm. I was just on my phone. And I ended up writing that story um, on the notes feature on my phone. <laughs> I have never done that. Yeah. I love uh, before or since. Uh, no, I no. Just the that one story. That had one to be story about getting, it had to be written. It had to be written right <laughs> yeah. then, and that's yeah. what I had. So I'm not a big, yeah, me texty either. texty person. Um, <laughs> I know that type. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, well, it's, it's just hard when you're only on with your thumbs. You're trying to write like a whole story and, and being scared that it's going to get lost. Yeah, like, it's going to float out of it your started, brain. Well, the I mean, the actual physical or the document. Oh. I was on the notes <laughs> and it started acting funny and it started like shooting me back up to the top and stuff. I guess I got to like the word count limit oh, maybe or maybe. something. So I immediately emailed it myself and started a new notes <laughs> notes thing because I was like, if I lose this, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go find gonna, that kid. I'm gonna flip him off. <laughs> yeah, I like give me like, more. Start, I'll like start emails to myself because you can write more in emails but usually like that's way smarter (laughs) thank you i'm very intelligent um but but like i write poetry in my notes but that's a lot easier because you're just doing like i'm only ever doing like a couple lines maybe a a stanza not ever a whole poem but i get really like whenever i i was uh, telling stephanie about a dream i had that was like involved today (laughs) and i started it on my phone and then it would like got so frustrated with like it, that it wasn't going fast enough because mm-hmm. I can type so fast on a computer. Oh, yeah. right, right. I do that. But I then the went and switched to because it was on we were messaging each other so I have both like on my phone and on my computer and I went and like went back and just was like I have so much to say. I do that all the time. I'll be like, oh I have to type this thing to I'm just gonna get out and type. Yeah. Like anything on Facebook Messenger. I'm like, yeah I'll just do it on my computer. Did you get those skills in the typing classes in Johnson County schools? In those great Johnson County schools I learned how to type no I really think in the last two years working at a front desk has made me very like I can type Absolutely. look I can look you in the eye and type an entire email yep wow and like the same the amount of time it's taking us to have a conversation just because because my job is hectic and people are always interrupting me and yeah. um oftentimes I'm just like I just need to like shoot something off real quick yeah. I've learned how to and you probably sent the same email a thousand times 10, before ten thousand times yeah. before so yeah. but, but those are those are that's one of the good things about those front of yeah. house jobs. I, I had yeah. one of those before I actually came back to get my doctorate. Yeah. Um, I worked in a staffing agency for nine months and I did the front desk work and I did uh, yep. recruiting work also. Mm-hmm. And they've been very good to me. So I was going to say. They've been very uh, good to me. I still run their social media page. Yeah, I yeah. think I've seen you share some stuff, so I was curious about that. But yeah. but yeah, no, I feel like I've learned some very, very important skills that I can use mm-hmm. in any Dear hi- hiring people, <laughs> I have many skills that translate well to many different circumstances. Here are my skills. Uh, We're in for a new job, 2020. Yeah, for real. I type 100 words per minute. Oh, wow. Okay. I probably type Walk like out. five. Well, my mom always said it was really important for me to learn how to type mm-hmm. because she used to do stuff like that too. But um, my dad actually would have me type out like assignments and um because he's like a two finger pointer finger Mm -hmm. typer kind of person and so I was always looking for like things I could do to like earn five dollars and and so he would have me type out like assignments and stuff so I got really good at learning where the symbols for different because he's a physics teacher yeah so like symbols for equations and stuff were yeah yeah, really good at making anyway, that paper. I yeah, had right. no idea Kids what any hustlers. of it meant. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. I bought a whole bunch of yards growing up. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, two free ones, mine and my grandmother's, and then one, two, three, four. So I mowed a yard of a guy. 
who had a limousine um, that he kept parked, right? He had bought a limousine. And uh-huh. you know what he kept in it was his weights. His lifting. His what, lifting that's weights. what he kept in there. And so he would drive around town in his limousine with a weight bench in the back of the limousine. What? And he, would he actually lift his weights I in think the he, limo? I think he did when, when it was parked. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yes. Wait, so did he park it in his yard? It was parked. So um, he had like a driveway uh-huh. and then a little like dirt spot next yeah, to it yeah, that yeah. The, the limousine was parked in. I was in. just wondering sure. if it like got in your way when you were mowing. Yeah, no, because I mean, I don't think I would have had to mow that spot anymore. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. Man, the story's right in itself. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, the highway patrolman on the corner. <laughs> you want to visit Texas? Visit Was Missouri. Were they big lines in no, no. Uh, well, okay. not in my neighborhood. If you get out a little bit, and it's some of the richer neighborhoods, yeah, much bigger lines. But in my, in my neighborhood, not as much. No. Yeah, yeah. I was just curious. Um, I have three brothers, so I uh, to this day don't know how to operate a lawnmower, mm-hmm. <laughs> which we found out this summer yeah. when we moved here and had to take care of our own yeah, lawn. I mowed my first lawn here at this very house. Good work. Last fall. Can't wait to do it again. It was very satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. And I weed whacked, mm. weed woke, <laughs> weed, weed whack worked a lawn. What's the past tense of whacked? Whacked. Whacked. You nailed it. You nailed it the first try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> woke. Weed woke. Trademark uh, pending. Anyway, that's the past tense of whacked. Mm, let's move on. <laughs> okay, great. Let's do. Um, I'd be very happy though. So we talked a little bit about like, well, let's just go back to square one, um, a little bit in here. Yeah, forget everything that just. Forget everything. No, Um, I just am curious about how you got started writing and what your journey towards like. Were you a child prodigy? Were you, you know, was it? No, um, not at all. Um, So never have I been called a prodigy (laughs) at anything ever in my life. Um, Yeah, same. No, when I was so the the first the only thing I ever remember writing, I remember writing two things when I was young, and they were both assignments for school. Mm-hmm. One was a book about the Arkansas Razorbacks basketball team. I was not even a fan of the Arkansas <laughs> Razorbacks. You wrote a whole book, but I wrote like a uh, a yeah. thin like 20, 20 page thing with but, illustrations well, and everything. That's a lot yeah, for a kid. Um, my neighbors, um, some kids that I played with in the neighborhood were huge Arkansas fans. And, Did you write it for them? And so I, well, I don't know that I wrote it for them, but like I definitely wrote it cheering for their team. Aw, that's cute. Um, but you were like, I got this cool book that I wrote. Do you want to be my friend? <laughs> and they were like, hell yeah. They were like, no. <laughs> no, that's not true. We, we hung out quite a bit. Um, and then the other thing I remember writing was a children's book in high school. We had to write a children's mm-hmm. book. And it was a book about... Um, Aliens, like abducting <laughs> this kid and then bringing him back, sure. and it was in the shape of a toilet, like seat. And you you see those now at the store, like oh, yeah. it's like, and, like novelty, yeah, yeah. Like, that's in the shape of a toilet. And so you're like, I've been, I wrong. missed out, I missed out. I could have had. Wait, I, so did you cut it into the shape of a yeah, toilet? Yeah, I cut okay. it, and and uh, my mom sewed it together <laughs> oh, with buttons, oh, so she that's sewed it. So cute. Yeah, my, well, a good friend of mine was going to illustrate it, and uh, that story of why she couldn't do that is like kind of depressing. So I won't okay. go into that. But so my mom had to illustrate it for me oh, at the last no. second. Yeah. So mom illustrated it, and then mom sewed it together for me. Oh, that's Thank a good you, mom. mom. Thank you, mom. I have to ask <laughs> what a toilet seat. How that plays into an alien abduction story. It has absolutely story. nothing to nothing? do with it. Nothing? Okay, no. well, that's the end. Uh, <laughs> I love it. You just thought it was funny, probably, right? Well, I, I you were like, it, open it up. I called it my first bathroom book. 
<laughs> that's that was the idea. Yeah, oh, that it like sits on the back of the yeah. toilet. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I see, I see. Mm-hmm. Well, and then out of high school, um, I went to pharmacy school. And really? I, yeah, I went into UMKC um, in this oh, in their six year pharmacy yeah, yeah, program. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and you know, I was. I was like working my tail off. They make you take like 18 hours it's the first year. It's a hard year. program, yeah. Uh, the first semester they make you take 18 hours. Mm-hmm. And so like I was I was homesick, I was depressed, and yeah. I was I was studying all that and I was working, you know, constantly on that stuff. And then I'd go home and I would sit on the floor and I would write for like two hours at night. Just because? I, I'd never done it before. I don't know what made me do mm-hmm. it in the first place. And I just sat there and I was writing really bad poetry at the time. Sure, sure. Um, and I just would sit on the floor in my room and write for like two hours before bed. And I did this for, um, those first two years basically that I lived there. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I kept writing, um, just no longer sitting on the floor. Mm -hmm. And you were like, like, my back hurts. Yeah, exactly. I'm getting too old for this. (laughs) Uh, and then, you know, and then I finally, um, said, I really like one of these things and I really don't like this other thing. Yeah. And so I became an English major. That's great. Got a minor in chemistry. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, by then you've taken so many credit yeah, hours. <laughs> I'm, I'm using it every day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, but it's so still at UMKC. Yeah, all that was at UMKC. So it took me about five and a half years to graduate yeah. with the major change. And mm-hmm. then um, I applied to MFA programs the first time around. Didn't get in. Yeah. Uh, I sent a really terrible packet. Some really good schools. I didn't know how it worked. Right, I you're I fine blind. I didn't know what MFA stood for until November when the when the applications were due. <laughs> I had no idea. You're just like I don't know. I want to do this. Please let well, me. You're like, how do I do more school of this? <laughs> yeah. A professor was like, you need to go get an MFA, and yeah. I was like, well, I'll look up what that means. I didn't even ask her. I wouldn't even ask you're like, her. Okay. You're like uh, sure, MFA sure. school. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and then, so I sat out a year and I worked at a bakery in Kansas City. I worked oh, at Farm to Market Bakery. Cute. Um, I was an assistant manager of bread packaging. Uh-huh. Um, that sounds and boring. I wrote, I wrote a lot because I was like, I don't want to do this. Right. Um, and I applied to, I had some financial help, so I applied to a whole bunch of programs. That's awesome. I got into one. I got waitlisted at like 10 of them, but I got into one. And that's you know? all that mattered. That's yeah. all that mattered. And then so you that's, went and got that That's how I ended up at WVU, yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. That actually is a lot like me. I worked at a Mexican, Mexican restaurant the year after graduate, or after undergrad, um, Torreon Mexican restaurant in Overland Park, Kansas, mm. for a year. Uh and then, like, went to the coffee shop and applied to grad school all over again. It was mm-hmm. like, here goes another $500. Well, like, yeah, absolutely. But, How yeah. many programs did you apply to? Oh, God. Over the course of two years, easily 25. Yeah, I think oh, I... That's so many. It was yeah. so many. I think it was like, 18 for me over two years. Yeah, yeah, it just was brutal. Like, and I... Because the second year, I would just, like, doesn't have an MFA with funding? Great. Let's Boom. do it. Yeah. Because the first year, I was <laughs> being, low like, application very... Fee? <laughs> I was being very, like, hoity-toity. I was yeah. like... I want to go to, you know, <laughs> Cornell, like yeah. what the fuck ever. Yeah. I, I knew I didn't want to go to Iowa because I didn't want to stay, like, I moved from Kansas to Nebraska and I didn't yeah. want to then go to Iowa, right. you know. <laughs> I knew I wanted to, like, move. Coastal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, get me somewhere else. Um, but yeah, I was applying to, like, Cornell and I did get into Emerson, but they were, oh, like, yeah. real shady about, they were like, funding. And deliver that news to you, it means you did not get right. it. Right. Yeah. Well, and I was like, uh, he, 
Emerson's in Boston. I literally cannot afford to go unless yeah. you're like gonna give me money. So yeah. anyway, and then the second year, yeah, I was it was a lot, but. Yeah. I didn't know you got into one school the first time. I you did, yeah. Cool. I think it was like a joint MFA um, publishing track because they have a cool publishing. Oh, really? yeah, 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 they do. Yeah, and yeah. so I don't know that it's like, I don't know. And I kind of like am still salty about it. I so I'm just cool. like, fuck you, Emerson. You know, like, yeah. fuck you guys. You know me, it was funded and, uh, but then I didn't get funding. Anyway. Yeah. So I said no to Emerson and then applied to, and then it was like, okay let's look at my poetry realistically like where can I apply um and I only applied to UT UTK because my best friend Amanda was applying to a psych program at the time Uh and she was like UTK has a great psych program like you should apply there they also have an English they have a creative writing program and I was like okay we can go there together yeah we were like we can move to Knoxville together I was like okay and then I got in and but she didn't oh oh yeah but she also didn't get into any grad programs that first year, so she had to do a second year too. Yeah. So I was just like, does no one like is it a rule that you're just like blacklisted from Reject- all grad schools <laughs> your Reject- first year applying? Like they is know. that just they know. Yeah. <laughs> standard? But she was also applying to like clinical psych programs, which are really I fucking competitive. Yeah, I was gonna say I can't imagine how competitive, like super academic, like yeah. of the like it's other STEM brutal. kind of things. Well, and like it, they have money, but they you know, they also have to pay like their um, students get bigger stipends. So right. anyway, um, anyway, so okay, so you kind of it sounds like your approach to writing was like more instinctual. Like you just kind of knew that it would help you. Yeah, I think it was a mental health thing um, mm. at first because I, I mean, I was, I was just not doing okay, you know, and um, yeah, yeah, and so you know, I, I wrote this real it, it was and it was like this extended poem it was like a real long like an poem. epic it was like an epic <laughs> poem about a town like Sykeston sure. where I'm from in Missouri and um you know it was just about what happens if something changes in the setting enough that like everything like every people have to move out mm-hmm. and there's nothing left um mm-hmm. and so you know um but yeah I, I you know I still when I sit down to write I don't know that um I don't approach it I was talking to a friend of mine the other night and he was telling me that, you know, he approaches a story with like, okay, I know this is going to happen. So then I need this event to happen also. And mm-hmm. then I need this event to happen. And I just, I've, I've worked like that in revision a lot of times. Like, okay, sure. this scene's not carrying its weight. It's got to go. So now something has to go in its place. Well, right? Sure. But in writing, um, you were saying you have like a scenario, you're trying to figure something out. I typically have one image or one sentence. Okay. And then I just go from there and I just write story and it's just it's just whatever um whatever More like char- instinctual whatever the characters do they just they just do and i just i mean it's that that bullshit thing about just following your characters around yeah and, right but yeah. um so it's, it's more like you free right yeah um and then in revision i'll clean up you know some stuff but usually um if it's if it's too bad like i'm not writing 14 drafts mm-hmm. like i did of this story we're going to talk about now yeah you know, if I can't fix it in maybe four or five drafts now, I probably will shelf it and yeah. just, you know, let it let it be there. But yeah, it's mostly just um, write the sentence that needs to be written after the sentence I just wrote, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, There's got to be know? another one. There has to be another yeah, one. Yeah, to make a story. <laughs> so how do you know, like, which, which images or which lines to mm. follow? They sit. 
Um, so I won't write the thing the first time it pops up. Uh-huh. But when it pops up like two days in a row, I need to write the thing. Because um, there's something happening on like the back burner. Yeah, it just, yeah. It's, it's sitting there. And so usually, also I think like you're saying about it being on the back burner, I think that there's something also about that second or third day mm-hmm. that the story's already been writing. And mm-hmm. I just have no idea that it's happening. Mm-hmm. And so then when I talk about just writing forward, I think so, I think some of that's been happening, and I just didn't on like know. a subconscious yeah, level. Yeah. yeah. Well, also, if you can't forget an image after a couple of days, it's likely that it will stick with the reader too. Yeah. And right, if you expand good. on that, then hopefully you're doing a good job. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's really interesting to hear you say because I've often said that like some of my best poems at least come to me initially when I'm like doing the dishes mm-hmm. or something. You know, like it's when like your part of your brain I think of it as like the back burner but like yeah I don't know I'm sure there's a part of your brain that specifically deals with like menial tasks oh yeah Yeah. and when that part of your brain is occupied I feel like your creative brain kind of like runs Mm -hmm. wild yeah I get a lot of good thoughts at uh at the gym yeah Yeah. I go to the gym I just mean (laughs) she works out you know like but but you're doing something with your body and your brain's just kind of like what's over there you know yeah I think that's why like walks are generative too Mm -hmm. definitely for me walks help me solve personal problems yeah (laughs) well because the part of you is like writing problems part of you is like doing something yeah and yeah it's nice it's just interesting because it makes me feel a little bit like my brain is like a hamster wheel and my body is the hamster and like an order oh yeah you're like, like turning on the light bulb energy. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like one little hamster running to keep the lights yeah, on exactly i love that no. like i yeah. have to be moving my physical body in order to like churn energy yeah actually yeah. this the one story i've published um it's about a little kid who runs a lot and i thought of it the first and only time i've run a 5k <laughs> <laughs> Because a little nine-year-old was like, boop, and like ran past me. And I was like, God damn it. Fuck that nine-year-old. Yeah. But also I finished that 5K because there was a lady pushing a double stroller running ahead of me. And I was like, if she can do it. Yeah. That's motivation. But yeah, I was just like trying to think about anything but how much I don't like running. Yeah. Yeah. So my brain was real freed up. Like, what can I do? Also, thank you, little kid, for passing me. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, little kids, you both are like, ah, fuck that kid. (laughs) How a story has become. Though my story, the kid, like, is very innocent. Yeah. Lovely. Well, that's nice. That's nice of you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because that kid wasn't being rude. No. Anyway. I would have been salty towards the child but that's me i was just like he's young ah you he hasn't discovered light beer (laughs) massive loads of carbohydrates yeah he hasn't discovered light beer literally though (laughs) anyway um well we should probably get get into your story yeah so you said you did 14 drafts of this story which blows me away yeah so this um, but you also said you normally would have given up on a story I, at that point I, so okay so uh I, I, I probably shouldn't say this but um this is about a woman back home mm-hmm. um, based on a it's based on an actual person she's a lovely woman yeah. she really is an artist um her one of her paintings um wait so this is like non-fiction it, it's not fiction. everything everything okay. other, so she's just other such, than that she's okay, yeah, yeah she sold a painting Ooh, I do to that uh, uh demi moore <laughs> oh yeah uh so she's she's kind of a big deal yeah. um but i found out she made dolls and, and i was like, i had known her up. my whole life and i didn't find that out until i was in my I was at UMKC, so I was in my 20s. Yeah. Um, and that's when I found out she made dolls. And I didn't write this story until 
um, for several more years. So 2010, probably, I wrote the story. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So it's like based on a true thing that happened, but then you fictionalized. Everything else yeah. got fictionalized. So what happened is, is um, so I might have used to have, um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I might have used to have. Um, and, and. So anyway, um, so I was, uh, I, one late, late night, I was... Uh, <laughs> Out. <laughs> what, Tell what, us more. What a late night. I was uh, I was I was writing and I started writing these little gospel according to yeah. with her real name. Um Interesting. Yes, and I was just messing around. Yeah. And that was the root of it. It were the, the gospels that ended up being put on the door uh-huh. in the story uh-huh. that, which are notes that are put on the story on the on, the on this yeah. on the main character's door in the story. Um yeah, um, so I just started writing these out as jokes. Yeah, um, and then like jokes just, for yourself. You know, just to just yeah. to laugh. Yeah, yeah, and then um, it turned out that yeah. You were like, "What if oh. I gave these to people?" I was like, "What <laughs> if that made it into a story?" Well, yeah, that's cool. So, but so the the fact that it was kind of inspired by a true woman is that what made you hold on for more? I, I think it probably is. Um, I I think the fact that she. Um, you know, like I said, um, it's somebody that I really I, I haven't had contact with her in forever. Sure, but when yeah. I was growing up, she was a uh, she was one of my buddy's moms. Yeah, and I just thought she was a great person. I just never knew this thing yeah. about her, and so then when I found it out, I just uh, I just started thinking about like some of the other people in the neighborhood, and maybe there's another real person in the story too. I don't yeah. know. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that's why I held on to. Well, it. especially someone you've known your whole life, and you learn this new thing, and you're like, it's, it's yeah. suddenly everything again. History stories and, writing itself. Yeah. Like yeah. that's yeah. it. That's yeah. the whole story. <laughs> okay, so how about you read for us a selection from that first draft? From the first draft. From the mm-hmm. first draft. This is fun. And what year was this first, first draft? Year? Was in 2010, and I think it probably got picked up in 2014-ish probably would be okay. my guess. Mm-hmm. I'd have to look, but that's, that's, that's yeah. my guess. Um, and maybe even a little later than that. Um, so about four or five years. 63 rejections, like I told you all in the, yeah. in the email. That persistence. I've never even sent 63 submissions, I feel like. Yeah. That's amazing to me. I'm like impressed. Well, it's kind of cool that you can track that with fiction. Because with poetry, I send poems in packets, and I so I have no idea right. how many times they've been right. sent. Oh, because you shuffle them a little bit yeah. each time? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you know, duotropes really useful for the fiction writer that yeah. wants to pay that fee. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. I uh, don't want to do the Do you use an Excel sheet? How do you keep track? Uh, Excel sheet or 90% um, of submissions are through Submittable. And right. so Submittable keeps track. But but yeah, I have an Excel spreadsheet that I have been a little lax on. What about you, Stephanie? <laughs> I have a spreadsheet, but I only made one because I went to a submission party and I didn't want to submit, so I made a spreadsheet instead <laughs> of all the submission of like the five submissions I had done. I was gonna say far. we've been trying to get Stephanie to send out her work, but she's um, the whole party was for reticent. her. She just didn't yeah. know it. Uh-huh. It was like a um uh what do you call it? It was like an ambush. <laughs> an I showed up and I was, everybody was like, "It's a trap." <laughs> I was like, "Oh no." It's funny because I, I don't know how you don't get caught up in it because Aaron will be like, I sent out 10 and I'm like, must send out 10. Like sometimes I even send out one more than she tells me she sent out just to be, because I'm like That so just doesn't work on me. I'm just like, that's Aaron for you. Well, she, and she's always <laughs> like, I sent out 10 and she'll do it in like 30 minutes. And I'm like, okay, 
an hour later, I sent out 10, but like, or I sent out 11, and yeah. that's like my, how I get I'm myself I'm like very motivated. stubborn though. Usually you once are. I send out like the first one, I'm like, whew, okay, that was easy. I'll only do another one. And then I just kind of have momentum after that. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. so But it much takes easier. me like a million years to start things. Once you pop. It's like, have you ever seen that? Out. Yeah. Just like Pringles just eat the told whole Pringles me. can. <laughs> have you ever seen that meme that's like... <laughs> Wow, that thing I put off for three months took 10 minutes. Yep. That's like my whole life, even yeah. at work with like work stuff. Truly, that was me with mopping the floors last weekend. <laughs> it took 30 minutes to do both the kitchen, to sweep and mop both the kitchen and the bathroom. And I was like, I need to remember this for the next time that I'm like, fuck, it's going to take yeah. forever to clean my house. It's like, yeah. it's really not. It really does. Get the fuck over yourself. Yeah. I like to make <laughs> things take a long time too. You, you I, it do. Will, yeah, I could make it take two hours for me to do the floors. Yes. I don't know. I've been shopping I can make, with you. I, can I know make anything lasts three <laughs> it's hours. Thing I do. Yeah, <laughs> it's a talent. It's truly a skill. Yeah, and it's what's funny to me is that it doesn't bother me in the slightest. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm just. She is so. I'm gonna be an zen. enraging old person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna be that grandma that invites their grandchild over, and the grandchild is like. Okay, mom, see you in six hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going over just for tea and cookies, but anyway. Anyway. I'm sorry. We keep getting off track. You should read yeah, your story. We'll cut that. <laughs> I'll read a, I'll read I'll read some of the story. Yeah. Um, read a couple pages. So um the first one's untitled, so I'm not even gonna name a title for the first draft. Right. So it's okay. She was tall. Shirley Atwater knew that. She had known that her entire life. And her arms fell at her side, the fingertips reaching almost the tops of her knees, it seemed, when she let them rest that way, which she almost never did. Her mother had told her that women with long features, long arms and legs, that is, were considered very graceful. But Shirley was anything but graceful. She had bumbled through her entire life. There were the teenage years when she had worked various jobs to help her mother after her father died. She had tried her hand at waitressing. How hard could it be? However, after more than one dropped and broken dish, she was fired. It's not you, they had said. The boys, not the managers at the various restaurants that had fired her. It was never her. In her 20s, Shirley graduated from college with a degree in accounting. She had always been good with numbers, although she felt it quite boring. She settled back in Chaston, the same tiny southeast Missouri town that she had vowed when she left home at 18 never to return to. And before she turned 30, she was married and divorced with nothing to show from the marriage except a little boy they had named after a lazy, deadbeat husband, Parson Henry Thompson. The whole deal, she was convinced, was just another bumble in the long string of bumbles that she had called her life. Before 40, there was another failed marriage, another son, Paul Alex Jackson, another mistake in a life of mistakes, the marriage, not the son. (laughs) And now at 50, she studies her long arms in a full-length mirror that was not tall enough, and it cut off everything from the neck up. About the only thing she could do was look at her improportioned arms and wish that her mother had been right, that she really was graceful. But Shirley knew better than that, and before she could think any longer on it, there was a knock at the door. Uh, She moved down the stairs quickly, hoping that it was Parson with his new baby, Parson Henry Thompson III. She grabbed the over-aggressive, larger-than-life smile she kept by the door, only to be put on for Parson or Paul, and swung the door open quickly. There There was no one there, and immediately the smile fell from Shirley's face and crashed to the ground like so many plates dropped so long ago that it felt more like someone else's life that she had read about or more likely seen on TV. Shirley stepped outside and looked to the left and to the right. 
The street dead-ended a few houses to the right, and there was no one in that direction or in the other. She turned to go back inside, and there was a piece of paper with scribbled chicken-scratch handwriting taped to the door. In big, oversized letters at the top, she read, The Gospel According to Shirley Atwater. She looked around again and took the note from the door and walked to the kitchen. She sat it down on the table and went directly to the coffee pot. It was strange. Shirley knew that. It was more than likely someone she knew, or at the very least, someone that knew her. With a strength gained from a ceramic mug filled to the brim with coffee, she sat down at the kitchen table and read the note. The Gospel According to Shirley, Shirley Atwater on the first day, you shall marry a man who has, or will one day, compete in a tall man-only look-alike contest of I love it. He will, or has already, come in third place. There is no shame in third, because the two competitors who place or placed higher than him have, or will have, cosmetic surgery. A reading from the Gospel of Shirley Atwater. Her first thought was that it was Paul. He had always played tricks on Shirley since his third birthday party when it was time to cut the cake and he was nowhere to be found. They had looked all over the park for him. They checked the streets to make sure he wasn't lying there dead in the road even. But he was fine. He had been hiding behind a tall oak on the other, on the other side of the park and had been watching them. It was a game of hide-and-seek that only he knew they were playing. Shirley picked up the phone and dialed Paul's number. Hey, Paul, this is your mother. I was just calling to see if you'd stop by the house. Hope your living situation is working out. No hurry to call back. Just checking in on you. Love you. There was no need to tell him on the machine what had happened. If it was him, he would tell her eventually. And if not, then there was no need to worry him with this little ordeal. He didn't have time for her problems anyhow these days. What with his night job and school about to start up. Paul just moved out the week before to live with one of his friends from Chaston that was going to be a freshman at SEMO also. It was a perfect fit, Shirley thought. Paul and Mike had been friends since kindergarten. They had doubled to every red pepper dance and homecoming, had gone to all the football games with each other, and Mike had always gone to watch Paul's basketball games. He'd even gone to all the away games. Before he got his license, he rode with Shirley, and after he got his driver's license, he drove himself. In fact, it was so perf perfect that all Mike Masterson had to do was back his van out of the drive two doors down, the last house before the street dead ended, pull into the Outwater's drive and load up Paul's things. That's all it had taken, one van load, and Paul had almost been entirely erased from the Outwater home. Now, he had been gone for ten days, only thirty minutes from home, and Shirley hadn't seen her younger son since he moved out. Shirley finished her cup of coffee, sitting at her kitchen table, alternately glancing between the note on the table and the window above the sink to her left. When she moved in the house, Parson was just a baby and there were only a handful of houses on the ridge. That's what the development had been named because it sat upon the only hill in Chaston, there on the western edge of town. But within the last two years, developers had come by, offering large sums of money for parts of her and her neighbors' backyards. Chaston was growing and expanding rapidly to the west, toward the cotton and soybean fields, and they were developing the ridge even further. The Folsons had agreed first, and the Jacksons, Alexanders, and all the others, including the Mastersons and herself, had come next, and now, looking out the window at what used to be her extensive backyard, she could peer into the window of what was soon to be one of her neighbor's bathrooms. She drank the cup slowly, letting the steam clear her clogged sinuses and the caffeine open up the blood vessels that were causing her headache. After the disturbance that the gospel had brought into her life this morning, she was lucky that it was only a small headache near her temples, rather than the full-blown migraines that she had been accustomed to. 
Shirley got up and poured herself another cup and sat back at the table, assuring herself that after just one more cup, she'd get back to work. But as she sat back down, she noticed something moving in the bathroom window of the partially finished house. She put the coffee down and walked to the sink to get a better view. No, she was not crazy. There was something movie, moving. It was a small wren, or it looked like one at any cost. She felt bad for drinking her coffee in her nice house, knowing that the bird was going to die if she didn't do anything. The builder of the house lived just down the street, and he always threw about a half a loaf of white bread out on his drive, whether it was songbirds or blackbirds out eating it. How much would he really care if she went over and opened a window for it to get out? But she couldn't help but think about what would happen if the windows and doors were all locked. How much trouble would she be in if she threw a brick through the window? She resolved herself back to the table, knowing that she wasn't going to do anything, but before she could even get herself settled back into the chair, she saw the note on the table that had been taped to her door, and somehow the thought that someone might be watching her propelled Shirley into action instead of scaring her into pa passivity. I guess you don't snap for fiction, uh, but... Well, don't, snap, don't, don't, don't snap for that. Shirley, 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 Shirley. Oh, yeah, Shirley's her real name, too. That's why I got changed. <laughs> well, so I was curious about some of those changes, like, but her Shirley's her real name, but Chasten is... Is, is absolutely yeah, Chasten. Yeah, and, so what, what, like, how do you change some things from real and, and keep others? At, at some point, I was, I was scared um, to even say Sykeston in writing, um, and I don't know if it's because I didn't think people from where I've I'm from right, but we do. I mean, hell, the first writing that the first reading that I got to do on this camp uh, in this town was um, was the only Tennessee reading, and I read with a guy from Sykeston mm -hmm. and his wife, you know. Yeah. And so it's like, it's like, of course, people write everywhere, but yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that. What the hell did I know? Right. Um, and I was so scared. So in that long poem that I wrote, the epic poem, right? Mm -hmm. um, it was Jonestown, and it mm -hmm. was Georgia because I wouldn't even write about Missouri. Missouri. Yeah. Um, and so it's you know everything I've just about everything I've ever written has been set in Sykeson, and I guess it wasn't really until probably at the end of grad school, um, the master's program, that I was like, well, I can just say Sykeson. Yeah. You know, it's fine. <laughs> what? Because you. You realize that like there wouldn't be any repercussions, or because it was like, oh, I should really like write some stories about Sykeston, a place that doesn't get many stories written about it. Or well, I think it was more like um, I don't I don't need to hide yeah. anymore. I think I was mm -hmm. hiding, and also I think if you call it Chasten, then you don't have the same sense of responsibility that you have if you call it Sykeston. Yeah. And so at some point I was like, well, I. I owe the people that I'm creating and I owe the person that I was when I lived there and the people that still live there, I, I owe them responsibility. And yeah. if calling it Sykeston will be, you know, mean that I'm responsible to them, then, then I'm going to call it Sykeston yeah. mm -hmm. and I'm going to try to, you know, treat them with respect and, and, you know, and treat my memories of the place with respect. And yeah. That makes nice. sense. Yeah. I feel like too, when you first start writing, well, at least for me, I kind of wanted to distance myself mm. from my hometown and and maybe thought it was more interesting to write about other mm. places I hadn't been, but mm. still like definitely using details from my hometown, but of just course. like pretending they're in another yeah. place or, um, yeah, but most of my stories, I don't think I really focus on a place, but it seems like 
you said all your stories are set in your hometown almost, so the, that feels really important. The people are all from Sison um, that that populate my stories. Yeah. Even I think I've wrote, I've written one story that was set in Knoxville since I've been here, mm-hmm. and it was very much a Knoxville story. It was a story <laughs> I needed to get out of me. I'm glad that it, I'm glad. Well, you, you yeah. know. It was about something that I just needed to get it out. And so, um, but everything else has been about Sykeson. And I mean, because Sykeson has endlessly fascinated me. Um, You know, I don't talk about race a lot in my writing typically, but like the last public lynching in the state of Missouri took place in Sykeson. Mm. I mean, a lot of the town is still segregated. um, But then also, you know, all of my best, you know, you know, so many good memories and so many people that, um, I loved even if I don't get back there at all anymore. Um, so many people I love are still there. And so, I mean, I can hear these voices, you know, I, I can hear, you know, Papa would take me, would get me at like um, preschool and he mm-hmm. would take me to like Jay's crispy fried chicken. And like, I'd hear stories of the old men talking, you know, and, you know, I can still every once in a while when I'm thinking about story, um, I can still smell tar and cigarettes, which is what Papa's truck smelled like. Mm-hmm. And so like that stuff pops. Yeah. Um, and, and so something about the characters all coming out of Sykes and, you know, it just, I, I feel that very strongly. Yeah. I feel it strongly, like embody it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They live in a breathe, live and breathe in a way that they wouldn't if. Yeah. 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 I think that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, it is interesting because I was, I was wondering why some of those things had been changed. Because um, reading the, the first and the second. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And that's what I figured too. But, um, it's cool to hear like you know every writer has like a sort of like obsession or focus or something Mm -hmm. and I just like I really like to hear other people's and it sounds like your hometown is like kind of your focus I mean even if it maybe it hinges more on like the people there or uh, the landscape or something it's nice to see or it's nice to hear like that kind of recurring yeah the I, I am and and it's it's taken me a long time to figure that out and I don't even know that I've ever said it as clearly as you just said mm-hmm. it that like I, I am obsessed um, you know like that landscape I I spent several years um, working on my buddy's dad's farm you know so like you know walking through cotton fields and corn fields that feels very real to me you know like maybe I didn't do it but like people cruise between like the gas station and Mm -hmm. like you know taco bell or whatever you know and that feels very real to me you know um you know dirt patches and yards with Mm -hmm. limousines Mm -hmm. on them feels very real to me um yeah (laughs) yeah um, nobody ever widens their driveway by adding more concrete they just make dirt (laughs) yeah that's a real yeah when you were saying that earlier and Brim's like oh yeah the dirt patch on yeah. the side of the driveway mm-hmm. uh-huh. yeah you never need to mow there there yeah. were no follow up questions yeah. I noticed <laughs> oh yeah uh-huh. I know exactly what you're talking about yeah. like sometimes when you get a third car down maybe yeah, yeah. like yeah. if it gets muddy but like mostly it's just dirt yeah. <laughs> that's great that's funny um I forget what I was gonna ask now yeah I feel like I had something smart to say but um, so we kind of talked a little bit about like what um, the impetus for the story was, but were you, when you were writing, <clears throat> were you writing for an assignment or were you just writing because it was a story that you felt needed to told? Uh, I think I had a workshop deadline probably. Okay. It, um, <laughs> That's inspiring to us all. Truly, yes. The most inspiring. <laughs> but it was, um, I actually was going to bring the notebook that I wrote it in because uh, I found it when I was looking through all this stuff and yeah. like um, right in the middle of the story there's all these notes that I made to myself that was like, they weren't like notes about what to do. They were questions. 
does this need to happen? Mm-hmm. Does that need to happen? There was a picture of her holding a doll. Like I drew, it's uh-huh. I'm a terrible artist. <laughs> I'll bring it. I'll, I'll bring it to you at some point once you see it. But uh, but it's just there was this hard stop, and then it just picks up again with the rest of the writing. And I, I guess that that's probably the end of the day. And I wrote okay. it in two in two days the original draft. And um, but so you're writing like longhand. Oh, I do that a lot um, okay. actually. So um, I. I haven't been doing it as much recently, but I've got a ton of notebooks just filled with longhand uh, stories. I've, I've almost always worked that way. I'm, well, I'm primarily working on my novel now, so and I'm not. I'm just not going to type all that after I've written it out. Yeah, <laughs> not doing yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but I do engage really well with the page when it's written, and I almost always. I don't know what my deal is, but I always write like backwards on the page. So like I'll start at the back of the journal and write. Oh. That way, uh-huh. um, that's super weird. So it's but, confusing yeah. to anyone who wants to steal <laughs> your ideas. It's like a, it's a total security, code. Yeah. Yeah. security, security thing. <laughs> that's what. Yes, that's what it is. It's a security thing. <laughs> Wait. So do you write? You just write on this page and then left to right, but I turn the page the wrong way to oh, write. That would really. I'm too neurotic for that shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly why I do it. Right, it's because I am neurotic. <laughs> But so I mean, it makes sense to me that you do write because you you were talking about like long, um, in undergrad that you would come home and you'd write on the floor. So I was assuming that that was in the journal. So Mm -hmm. it's just to have it's left over from that. Probably, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. There's something about it, you know that. Now, okay, so I've this is actually the first computer that I've ever owned that was just mine. I've always shared a computer, and I did not get it until not this Christmas, but the last Christmas. Okay, so that and, is part of it's practical I think the, then. I think part of it has always been practical that I haven't had anywhere that was just mine to sit and write. Yeah. And now I can take it wherever, you know, it doesn't have to just sit at the house, yeah. you know. Um, and so I find myself, you know, I just, I'll just take my computer now and I, I write a lot at Starbucks on Gay Street in the mm-hmm, Hyatt because mm-hmm. the people watching is awesome. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it's a nice Starbucks. It's a really, I feel fancy you know, in there. I should yeah. do that. I should go. It's fancy. No, I keep telling people. Everybody's going to show yeah, up there. Yeah, it's going to be a bunch of writers <laughs> hanging out. I went, I went there once. Gay well, Street that, Starbucks. Know, it's in a hotel, so like that'll make Knoxville look really cool and mm-hmm. good. Yeah. yeah. That hotel's nice, too. Mm-hmm. I wonder, too, if that, like, I, I just am really fascinated by anyone who doesn't write first and foremost on the computer. Hmm. So I also wonder whether writing in a journal is is part of the reason why you write the way you do, where, like, it's so much easier to write one sentence after the other on a page where I feel like on a computer screen it becomes so much more, <clears throat> or it seems like it needs to be so much more official or something. Yeah. Whereas if I'm, I'm scrawling it on a, in a composition notebook, it's going to look messy and that's fine, you know? Yeah. But fiction is a lot, I mean, 100% less um, tied to form. Like it also, yeah. poetry, I feel like, you know, if I try to write poetry in a notebook, I'm line breaking out of convenience or like out of yeah. like instinct yeah, 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 or like yeah, yeah. if, if I want to do a long line poem, sometimes it doesn't look like that in the notebook because mm-hmm. I run out of mm-hmm. line. room. Yeah. Um, but I used to write, I used to start all my stories in a notebook and yeah. just write and write and write and then typing it up would be like my second draft. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, like edit. yeah, yeah, yeah. you Yeah, fix do. stuff when you're typing it up. And I, but I think I totally get that because writing things down by hand feels like a true free write mm. whereas like typing things for me but I also don't type as quickly yeah um as I think and I prefer to think slowly yeah. I guess I don't know but yeah I always think it feels like way more freeing to write by hand than to just type like 
the the best times I've done free writing on the computer are when I turn like the brightness all the way down and I can't see it. Mm-hmm. It really bothers me <laughs> to see it like in Times New Roman, or I have to do like a dumb font or yeah. something. Well, I, I was reading somewhere that like you should write in Comic Sans because it's just ridiculous, and yeah. you're like, fuck this. I sometimes you know? I'll write in like in, like size thirteen, like Courier New or yeah. something. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm an old fashioned detective. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> See, I guess like screenplay writer would have been a more practical yeah. thing to say, but but I don't you know. in your I stand heart, by you it. feel like an old fashioned detective. <laughs> yeah, I think I just because I don't write anymore, hardly write like prose. But when I have, like, I'm thinking at retreats, my I, my hand is never going as fast as my thoughts, and I get mm. frustrated by that. And then mm. my hand starts to cramp because it's been so long since I've like written. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you write neatly? Because that could also be a problem. Because no. I don't No, I, I can hardly read, so no. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I just think I can type so much faster. But you're also right that, that poetry, like if I'm writing in an, if I'm writing poetry in a notebook, I'm just writing a block of text and mm-hmm. I'll deal with line breaks later. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck that. I single space everything I type, though. When I when I type it the first time. Like, oh, yeah, when, me I'm, too. when I'm writing, writing, mm-hmm. I'll single space it so that when I need that little boost, like of like I don't I don't know. Uh, it just makes you feel more. Satisfied. It does. Right? You're like, you're like I'll, double I'll, space. I'll, I'll double space, yeah. and then all of a sudden like, I've written double. Yeah. I used to do that with writing papers in college. Yes. Because I'd be like, oh, I, need that, I never. I always knew like double whatever you have, and that's the yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's hilarious. And I have I to get trick it. myself. Yeah. Oh, at I all love times. To trick myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's cute. <laughs> you got to. Um. All right. So, what about this first draft makes you feel the most cringy? Do I have to list just one thing? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can tell us several if you want, uh, but well, it's something it's something that we haven't yet acknowledged on the podcast. And I like sometimes people will be like, "Oh, that was," you know, like you laughed. There's one yeah, point where you yeah. literally laughed out loud at your own writing, yeah. and I want to talk about that. Like, what what is that response about? Well, I think that so so some of it is just overwritten. I mean, sure. and, and I found some of that in the second draft too. So stay tuned. Um, but but don't change that dial. <laughs> but no, I um in, in the first draft there are there's there's no real scene. It kind of goes into scene at times, yeah. and then it just like comes out of it until we get about three pages in. Yeah. Um, so there's no scene. Um, I counted as I was reading just that time three characters that don't need to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, an extra son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. We don't need him. Um, and then I think I think I saw something that I was thinking about doing with the story, which was to explore her son having like a homosexual relationship. You okay, know? yeah. I was like, this is super um, queer tone, but yeah, I didn't know that was, was intention or it, it yeah. Was, yeah, it was definitely going that way. And then I think But that's a whole other story. Yeah, it is. And I think so I think I realized very early in the writing of the story that the story was about um, the thing she's missing is the interaction with her granddaughter, that and that comes up later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's got to be the thing. Yeah. And so, yeah. So then if if it is queer-toned, as you said it, um, I'm going to... that's That thing needs to be its own story. That doesn't need to be overshadowed. Right. The granddaughter, and that needs to be its own story. That doesn't need to be overshadowed. And so I think you saw me like writing into that and then writing out of that. Yeah. Um, because I think I realized pretty quickly it was about the grand, the, the hole that was, you know, yeah. the granddaughter. Yeah. The relationship mm-hmm. yeah. that she's missing. Yeah. 
Um, okay, but so like you just feel it just feels really overwritten. It, it is extremely overwritten. <laughs> You're uh, like yeah. it doesn't feel like anything. It is. Oh yeah, it is. Well, because how many pages is the, the first draft? Just study. Uh, uh, remind, remind me. First one was well, this one's not much shorter, but I think the first one was. 20 something pages 20 plus mm-hmm. yeah, yeah 20 th- i was I reading it 20. on like the email preview so the numbers were a lot i think, yeah. I think 20, it was like 27 or yeah, something we'll see, it was I on, whenever i opened it in word mm. i mean i just out of curiosity i'm not it doesn't really yeah matter, it's about but. 20 it's about 20 yeah and then the next one's a little shorter yeah it's like it's two two full pages shorter yeah 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 so okay all right well do you want to read from the next one then Feels yeah. like we're leaning toward that so yeah so um it it got a name and the main character's name was changed from Shirley to Charlotte. Um, again, to protect Shirley. Hi, Shirley. Hi, Shirley. Uh, <laughs> um, so it's called The Gospel According to Charlotte Atwater. Bulk-sized bags of hair and shades from basalt to sunshine yellow hang from beneath the stairs. Arms and legs dangle from the exposed oak beams. Dolls in various states of completion line the walls, sitting atop footstools, both wooden and plastic. When Charlotte is here in her basement-turned-workshop, as her hands move in unison plugging hair into the doll's scalp, coloring in the lips, she is not lonely. Television and Jesus keep the world at bay for most. For Charlotte, it's a four-foot, eight-inch doll in front of her. When she's fashioning likenesses, Charlotte doesn't think on the husband who abandoned her and her only son years and years ago. Gone are the thoughts of the son, Parson, who left just like his daddy before him. If not for the fact that each passing second brings the doll closer and closer to the image of Eileen, Charlotte's grandbaby, gone too would be the thoughts of how much she's missed by being kept at a distance by Parson. Usually when she is in order for one of her lifelike dolls, Charlotte bases her creation on a series of 360-degree photos of the child emailed her, to, emailed to her by the purchaser. However, she only has the two of Eileen, one from this last school year and another from the previous Mother's Day. Despite this, Charlotte is happy with her progress. Soon she will be finished and the doll can ride FedEx to Parsons' house in St. Louis. The packages will take a day or two at most to get there. North on I-55 from Sykeston, St. Louis is only a two and a half hour drive. Though Charlotte is alone, alone is okay when the other option means the entire town discovering that she makes dolls. Sure, if they found out, some would feel it was something special, something worthy of celebration. But other folks, most in Sykeston, Charlotte fears, will not understand. They will think she is different, and by different they will mean odd. This is where the problem lies, because Charlotte, rather without thinking, has agreed to do an interview for the local news. Alone, then, probably won't mean alone much longer, at least not in the way it does now. Not a soul in Sykeson knows of Charlotte Atwater's achievements, that she has won the blue ribbon of facial expression from the Beloit Figure Festival in Beloit, Wisconsin, and the Mary H. Fitzgerald Prize in Contemporary Doll Making from the Houghton Institute in Bruges, Belgium, two of the premier awards in the art of doll making. But Charlotte is not thinking about prizes and loneliness at the moment. She is studying the pictures of her grandbaby, looking at the way the light strikes her hair in the Mother's Day card, the dotting of freckles in the school picture. It is well after midnight. Charlotte considers the color of the lips, twisting the doll this way and that to change the lighting's effect. The doorbell rings. She ignores the first buzz for the most part, 
only looking toward the steps as if this act might answer the question of why this person is invading her personal space, her personal time. She ignores the second buzz completely. It goes quiet upstairs, and she returns her attention to the life-size doll in front of her. When a series of knocks replaces a silence following the doorbell, she can't even pretend to ignore it any longer. She picks up the nine iron resting against the wall closest to her desk and walks up the stairs. When she reaches the front door, she looks out through the peephole, but there's no one there. Reading the golf club like a baseball bat, Charlotte closes her eyes, launches the door open, and swings at the masked intruder she pictures behind her eyelids. Nothing. She opens her eyes and looks down the street in both directions. There's no one out at this hour. The yellowed streetlight comes and goes and flickers. Charlotte can't help but to smile to herself. What would the neighbors think if they were out for a midnight walk? What would somebody think? She laughs to herself and turns to go back inside, but when she does, Charlotte drops the golf club. The head of the nine iron pings on the concrete and the sound echoes throughout the neighborhood. There is a note taped to the door, and at the top, in oversized chicken scratch handwriting, it reads, The Gospel According to Charlotte Atwater. She looks up and down the street again, and as she opens the door to go back inside, she grabs the note and crumples it in her hand. She slams the door behind her and leans against it. In this moment, Charlotte looks toward the upstairs landing and then at the kitchen. With the adrenaline pumping through her arteries, veins, and capillaries, she could not sleep even if she took a lanesta and slid between the flat and fitted sheets. With the series of knocks still echoing in her head, the nine iron propped against her leg, Charlotte drinks coffee at the kitchen table. She stares at the bald note. The urge, the curiosity, the need to know proves stronger than her willpower, and she spreads it out and straightens the creases as best she can. Charlotte can't help herself. The Gospel According to Charlotte Atwater On the first day, you married a man who competed in a tall man-only look-alike contest of Kenny Loggins. He came in third place. There is no shame in third because the two men who placed higher than him had plastic surgery. Charlotte reads the note over and over and cannot understand why anyone would want to put this on her door, much less tape it there in the early morning hours. It would be almost funny, she thinks, if she heard someone else tell it. But this is not someone else's story. It is Charlotte's, and so it is not funny. It is so not funny, in fact, that she begins to cry before she knows she is crying, before she knows why she is crying. Through the tears, Charlotte moves to the couch in the living room and continues to read this note over and over. Finally, between lines, her eyes close, and she falls asleep with the lamp on, clutching the note in her hand. The sun through the parted curtains wakes Charlotte a few hours after sleep graciously seized control from her anxious mind. She gets up from the couch and pours out the coffee from the night before. As she waits for the new pot to percolate, Charlotte walks to the coat closet directly opposite the front door and retrieves the box of cards and letters she has kept there since her son left home. Many of the cards are thank you letters from clients, her neighbors and acquaintances, whom she has helped with their taxes, saving them money, walking them through audits, doing whatever she could as a CPA to ease the burden of tax season. Some of the cards are from customers, strangers mostly, for whom she has created lifelike dolls. Still, others are Christmas cards portraying whole families wearing matching sweaters and smiles, dogs with antlers wishing her a Merry Christmas. After pouring herself another cup of coffee, Charlotte sits back down to flip through the cards. Most of the neighborhood and many in the town beyond are contained within this box. 
Charlotte looks up from the Masterson's family Christmas card out through the window above the kitchen sink. She realizes for the first time that she can no longer see the sky. Eleven months ago, Charlotte sold off portion of her backyard. What she is looking at will be, in less than a month or two, her new neighbor's half-bath, much too close to her house. She alternates glances between the card and the window, thinking alternately about her backyard and Parson. After going back and forth in her mind a half-dozen times, she ends the debate of whether or not to call him and gets up from the table. Four rings later, his familiar taped voice comes on and announces that the Sloanes are not at home, but if she'll leave a message, they will get back to her. Charlotte knows the machine is not telling her the full truth. Hi, Parson. This is your mother. I was just calling to see if you're doing all right. Hope you're good and my baby's doing well. No hurry to call back. Love you. There is no need to tell him about the note over the phone. She sits back down at the table and imagines a view before they began building. When she moved into this house with Parson, there were only a handful of homes in the development, cotton and cornfields just beyond her backyard. There were sunsets over these fields, red and orange, indigo so dark they could be mistaken for black, but those are gone forever. Over the years, developers came by offering extravagant sums of money for parts of her backyard, her neighbors too. The first to agree to the developers' pitch were the Folsons, the Jacksons fell next, followed by the Mastersons, Mr. Alfred Walker, and finally, last of all, Charlotte signed their papers. The Sunnyside development is being brought closer and closer to the rest of Sykeston. She gets up and puts another cube of sugar in her coffee, but when she does, she spots something through the window over the neighbor's bathroom. Yes, there it is again. Charlotte is not crazy. There really is something flying around in there. She looks a second longer and feels a tinge of guilt in her stomach. What if I don't do something? What if a bird dies because I don't act? The builder, James Folson, who saw dollar signs winking back at him when the developers handed over their 18 karat gold waterman pen, lives a few houses down. Charlotte has witnessed him on multiple occasions throwing whole loaves of bunny bread to the birds in the evenings. Would he really care if I go over and set the poor little animal free? She can't even get settled back into her chair before she spots the note lying there. The thought that someone might be watching compels her to the coat closet and forces her into a pair of snow boots. Though Charlotte is unsure of herself in so many of her daily activities, her mother taught her better than to ruin a pair of good shoes traipsing around out in the mud. So, obviously, lots of changes have occurred. Uh, how did... So, did this restructure happen when... When in the list, when in the 14 revisions did this restructure happen? Well, when in the 63 rejections did it happen, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, better yeah. question. Because that, you know, that's what was really happening, right? Is I would get these, these rejections and some of them were like very nice. Um, yeah. You know, saying, you know, this is close, but it's not there. Yeah. And eventually you hear that enough, you know, maybe 10, 10 rejections and then I would change a little bit. Yeah. And then 10 rejections. Um, but I remember when I wrote that new beginning, um, and I was like, that's it. You know, I, I know that that's it. Um, yeah. It was seen. It was a little creepy mm-hmm. um, with the doll parts mm-hmm. hanging. Um, but also, like, I, we, we got to see her being alone and being okay with being alone. Um, and then, you know, even as, you know, even as she goes out the door now, um, she's so concerned with what people think about her. And so yeah. we get that little thread in there. 
I mentioned the interview that's supposed to happen later. I'm still not convinced that I did that very well. Yeah. Um, but you know that seeds now in there. Well, last time the inter like there's no mention that an interview is going to happen until the when until that interview shows happens. up. Yeah, yeah, it comes out of nowhere. Yeah, and it comes out of nowhere, and so there's a lot of seeds, whether it be for scenes that come later, or whether it be for themes that are going to be you know, that are going to carry throughout that are now in here that weren't in the first draft. And like I said, I mean, you heard me laughing at that mm-hmm. Waterman pen comment. My mm-hmm. God. I don't know. I must have done some research on I that. I was going to say. Teen <laughs> character. Doing some, looking into it. Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you're making those changes pretty intentionally then. It's not like you were just, like, I need to rewrite a new a new beginning it was more like I need the beginning to do these things yeah right so um so you know as I'm thinking through what's missing from the beginning of the other story like I said too many characters right. so immediately you're getting so much information up front that was an early change I yeah. remember that that getting rid of that other brother was an immediate change mm-hmm. um and so you get rid of that whole storyline um about him moving in mm-hmm. with who, who's his boyfriend um and all of that and but you also get rid of um their names were so close. Yeah. The brothers that like there mm-hmm. would have been no telling them apart anyway. Right. Yeah. Um and so also, but I mean, even like leading into so in the in this version, right, we were about to go into the the new neighbor's house. Right. The even, scene with the bird. I noticed something that had changed in the lead up. She notices the bird from the kitchen table in the first draft. Mm-hmm. Well, just a practicality thing. First of all, you're probably How? not going to be able to see yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, You're yeah. not going to be able to see a damn bird from the window anyway, probably. Right, right. But, you know, you can't see it from the table for sure. So, like, getting it, like, she saw it from the kitchen window in right. this version. And so there's a lot of just even those kind of things. Okay, is this practical? Mm-hmm. And can it stay? You know, there's a lot of like those questions. Yes. Yeah. But I think that's, I like that you brought in, like, such a raw first draft because yeah. that's, like, Stuff that maybe you shouldn't think about in the first draft. Maybe mm-hmm. you should just keep plugging away. Yeah, the story wouldn't have come out probably. Yeah, and yeah. I think you've been so obsessed with. Yeah, I think a lot of people do that, and I struggle with like just keeping like keeping the momentum yeah. even when I know like I could have stopped and been like, but like, is she like standing? How is she feeling mm-hmm. walking over to the sink? Oh, then she sees it from the window. You know, like getting people moving people places is often like a, pl- a thing that I spend a lot of time on yeah. when writing. Yeah. Like, how am I going to get her outside? You know, or like exactly something right. like that. But in a first draft, you're just like, she's outside now. Or like, she sees that. That's the next thing I'm jumping to that I want to talk mm. about. And we I don't need, know. I think it's important. I think we need to take the advice we give like so like I you know I teach 101 and 102 yeah. and I, I tutor in the writing center a lot um, and so the advice I'm always giving is like okay trust the process you had to get it down in this draft yeah. so that you can get something else but don't judge yourself in the first draft we don't take our own advice no, no. <laughs> I'm like that sounds so good yeah like, and I have said that to people before I've that. said shit like that on this podcast and I don't do it yeah yeah no right but I do think it's so it's so true like you there's still a part of me I'll, I won't say there's still you. a part of me specifically that like believes that if I were truly a good writer mm. I would write the perfect poem. Yeah, right. it, would it would come, just out, come right. out of me right. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's just bullshit. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like sometimes you just have to write. I'm gonna say it. The shitty first draft. Mm-hmm. You gotta get it out of your system. She said the name of the show. I said the name of the show in the show. 
That's um, like the musician's trick. Yeah. Knoxville, welcome Knoxville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the <crowd goes> wild. <laughs> um, but I, I, it's interesting to hear you because you a couple times now you said I just had to get it out of me, mm, and yeah. I think that that's a really like that's another way of saying like this this initial drafting process. It's just like almost like an exorcism. Like you're just <laughs> getting it from your insides to the outside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you got I, some other stuff to think about. You got to make some space. Well, yeah. and like you should write about the things that make you feel that way, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I started to think about, as I've been thinking about this story, because this is not what I was going to bring on. I was going to bring on something that was funny sure, and all sure, over the place. Yeah. But this shows the revision process. Yeah, So that's absolutely. why I brought it. But as I've been looking at it the last, like, two days, um, I've really been thinking about, I, I remembered that this neighborhood was very much being like, um, it was a very nice neighborhood in, uh-huh. in Sykeson, and some people that I very much cared about. Um, their sunset was like literally stolen by a house that went up across the street. A, a giant two-story house yeah. stole the sunset that they could see previously from their kitchen window. And like mm-hmm. that issue, like thinking about those people losing yeah. that, um, and the house is, yeah, I'll, that's all I'll say about the house. Yeah. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. but so, you know, I was really thinking about that at this time. The real repercussions. Yeah, of, of you know, and like I, like I said, you know, it's a very privileged neighborhood. So, like, right. they're not losing a whole lot. But, right. like. But still. But those small And Midwest moments. sunsets are just unlike any other. So, for me, as a Midwesterner, I was like, I get, like, that description of the sunset yeah. was, like, so crystal clear for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, it, yeah, it's interesting how much the story seems to be about, like, Loss, even mm-hmm. in those small moments, mm-hmm. and like and like resisting change, maybe. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and like small small failures too. Like yeah. the fact that the bird doesn't, she doesn't save the bird. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and so where the story goes, right? Is the story goes, and uh, there's a young girl that interrupts the interview by throwing tennis balls at at them as they're doing the interview that comes up later, and instead of giving the doll to her granddaughter that she was planning to do it the little girl from down the street becomes a surrogate um, yeah. for that granddaughter. And so she remakes the doll. She spends all night working on the doll and remakes it in the image of the girl who had, you know, kind of saved her from outing herself as yeah. a doll maker. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And she delivers it to the house and, you know, like, so Sneaky when I, delivers it. Yeah. Sneak. Yeah. In the middle of the night, drops it off on the back porch and the dad comes over with a <laughs> shotgun when he answers the door. But, <laughs> you know, um, you know, like I was talking about earlier with moments of light, for me, there's so much sadness in this person's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's really skilled, but she doesn't want anybody to know about it because yeah. she's... She's uh, afraid. Well, and I mean, let's be real. Like, you know, she has been... She's It's a small town. She's not... She's been indoctrinated, you know, with gender stuff about, you know, not being proud of the thing that you that mm. you do so well. And you know she 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 was she's been kind of a secondary figure even in her whole life is what it feels like to me and mm-hmm. um, but that moment where she kind of is like okay I I I I'm not gonna get to see my granddaughter like I want to see it but here's this person that I can do something nice for and also it's kind of fucking creepy too because like. She thinks mm-hmm. she's doing a nice thing. Getting a life-size doll that looks like you is fucking, fucking creepy. creepy. And then yeah. dropped off in the middle of the yeah. night. Yeah. Not even that looks like you, but if you were a parent and then getting yeah. a doll that looks oh like your God. kid. Like, I'd move. That's weird. Yeah, I would call the police. Yeah. But she's well, in a moment of zen. Right. She's like, right. She's like this <laughs> is how like, I love. This is how I can, right, this is yeah. how I can show affection for this little girl. Because that's what I thought was really interesting is that she, like, the, um, 
Because she, in this draft also, it becomes clear that it's the girl who's doing right. the gospel according to right. thing. Like, the girl who's fucking with her, essentially. Yeah. And she's like, I like you. I'm yeah. going to give you a doll. Yeah. yeah. I think that's great. She wants attention, right? Like, yeah. she really yeah. does somewhere inside of her want yeah. attention. She wants connection. She wants real connection, yeah. not just attention, yes. Yeah. Um, and the girl gives her that. Yeah. And, or she feels like she does. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and so, like, you know, that there's, there's these little I hope little moments of light I mean that's what that's what I want I mean mm-hmm. now most of the fiction I'm writing are about like men who aren't so great um and you know you could have just stopped at men <laughs> that's what I was about to say when you were talking about writing about men you were, and watching what they do well they don't do anything that was what about them joke. yeah um you're but, right but yeah I mean you know I write about men that like are doing something that they think is right mm. that just isn't. And sometimes yeah. those men do good things along the way, but their whole point was never to be good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got a story where a guy smears, he works at a, a he works at a, a vet office and he gets fired. And so he goes back to smear shit on the vet's wall because <laughs> they accidentally left him with his key. But sure. mm-hmm. in the process of going to do that, he goes and realizes the dogs haven't been taken out and fed. And so he goes through the back and walks all the dogs and feeds all of them. And then he goes and, and smears, smears the shit, the shit yeah. Yeah. right? Because I mean, you know, that's what I, you know, that's I think, I think that's what's interesting to me is like people that aren't great doing like a little thing that's good that's never going to redeem them, right? Um, but it's superhuman yeah. to do that, yeah. Too, yeah. yeah. So um, the little girl that throws the tennis balls, I do this sometimes in my stories. I, I will write another story with that character. With that character, mm-hmm. and so she's actually in another story that I wrote where she goes about terrorizing the neighborhood. I but, love it. But you find out why she's doing it. Okay. Um, and that was that. So like, I think that's what I got stuck on is like, okay, she's throwing tennis balls in this one. That's kind of messed up. Like, yeah, like why the fuck? But why yeah. is she doing that? And why is she leaving these notes? Yeah, and, yeah. Like what? Like is she? You know, why is she so precocious? You know, what's going on in her family that you know makes yeah. her this way? And yeah, yeah, I've done that. I've done that twice where I've written a spinoff story trying to figure out somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's. I think that makes that I mean that makes a lot of sense coming like coming from the you talking about how you do your process I almost mm-hmm. want you now to just write a series of like linked shorts yeah so you know? um so there in the when I was reading the names of the people that had sold off their land what happened is so my collection that by my thesis right mm-hmm. for my master's was a collection of stories and oh, okay. those names are all people that pop up in other stories in other um, whereas you saw in the first one, those weren't the same names. There yeah. were some differences. But yeah, those um, those were people that all popped up some other places because I got kind of a nudge in that direction to yeah. make mm-hmm. things a little bit linked, even if they sure. weren't linked. Yeah. yeah. So then, yeah, so that's my that was another question I had too. You know, we've talked a lot about these revisions and the changes you've made. How much of those were like because this was a story that you brought to workshop? Were you were you getting a lot of workshop notes on it, or was it more like this piece isn't getting picked up and I know that it needs more work. I think that the workshop notes were basically like, you got to do something different in the beginning. Like that's the one thing I remember. And I, you know, I was really lucky in my MFA. I went in with two uh, wonderful writers Mm. um, that were constantly pushing me to be better. I mean, 
you know, I was in workshop with a bunch of other people, and I've got yeah. other good readers now, of yeah, course, yeah, yeah. but I went in with them, and I... Like uh, your cohort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, it's a big program, so I went in for like something like six or seven fiction writers. Oh, okay. Um, but two of them have just you been just there really from day yeah. one. Um, and, you know, so if they tell me the beginning needs to be different, the beginning needs to be yeah, different. Yeah, you're like, you trust them. But I couldn't figure out how to get there. I mean, that's that's the thing. That's what, yeah. that's the 14 drafts, right? Is I just need to <laughs> yeah, get there. Beginning. They yeah. gave me great advice. I don't know how to get there, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's true. Like, sometimes you can get really good advice, but until you figure out how to, like, employ that. Yeah, sometimes you have to, like, digest it first and figure out, like, yeah. what that actually looks like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and those good, those good readers are so important, whether they come from the workshop or whether they're just good friends. Yeah. Like, I almost... Like, I want to send Jeremy all of my poems yeah. because he sees them in a way that is, that, like, uh, no one else reads them. And I think part of that is just Jeremy being a goddamn delight. A kind, open person. Yeah, just, yeah. like, yeah. the yeah. lovely human being. Jeremy Reed, episode one. Episode guest. one. Um, but also, you know, like, some people's work you just connect with in a way that you don't connect with others, so. Yeah, and, you know, like, uh, yeah, I got to the program on day one when we were in the little teaching workshop. Yeah. I connected with them. You're you know, like, these so, are going to be my, my yeah, people. Yeah, these are my people already. Yeah. Um, and I just didn't, I didn't know that, and, you know, and then you figure out who aren't your readers. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and, and it, like, part of me, especially when I was, like, my first semester or two, I was, like, you know, get me and was like bratty about it. Mm-hmm. But now I'm just like, you just take their comments and you just put yeah, them in the trash. You just, you just don't, and that's okay. <laughs> and, and it is okay. You know, I it's mean, okay. And they're not like bad people because they don't get me, you know, nope. or, or if I didn't get their poems, like it doesn't mean, you know, it just means that there's some, there was maybe that day they were really tired and they didn't have time to really give it the time, you know, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That never happens in grad school. <laughs> yeah. I, I never read and commented, scribbled comments on poems 10 minutes before workshop ever. Or during workshop. Or during workshop. <laughs> yeah. I would always write more in workshop to make it look like I'd written a lot. <laughs> and in color. I These are the pens I would use, these mm-hmm. colors, so that it would look full. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, okay. Do you have any other smart things to say? <laughs> that was the one thing I've been yeah. doing. <laughs> That's uh, the one thing I got. <laughs> yeah, what other what other um, kernels oh. of wisdom do you want to add? Mm-hmm. Or what are you working on right now? <laughs> yeah. So I'm working on um, a novel um, about a character named Wedge Salad. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to talk a whole lot about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's about him and it's about three other characters. Um, and are they from Zeiss? Sexton? They are from size. They're from my street growing Love up. It. They Love are that. absolutely from my street growing up. Um, and one of the major events in it is something that little asshole Shane did at one point. <laughs> <laughs> Which again, maybe right, I ought, you know. Maybe I ought not to tell about something just yet. But no, I don't talk too much about the projects I'm working on because, you know, it's a little bit scary, you know, yeah, what if it doesn't change. happen, what if it changes. Um, but is that novel your dissertation project? Yeah, yeah. so um, so I've been, you know. I've so been it kind of has to happen. <laughs> yes. Um, so I've been talking about hope of hope, and I think the thing is, is that I'm trying to find, for each of these four major characters in the novel, I'm trying to find moments where, you know, their lives, you know, one's a hoarder, she's she's lonely, and my main character kind of grows too big, and so he's kind of ostracized. And the mom wants nothing more than to provide everything he needs, but she's a single mom and can't really do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a guy that is it just wants to be forgiven, 
Mm. And but even if he's forgiven externally, he's probably still not going to forgive himself. So there's all yeah. these moments that are going to happen that I've got in my head that are going to happen, that are you know these positive moments that these people can live in at least for a short time, mm. and that's you know that's what I'm kind of looking to create in a that. project. Yeah. Like well, that. I'm going to think about that. Yeah, I, I'm going <laughs> to think about that too, and just like. So how, how my how my cynical like like well I was gonna what I was gonna say is holding on to that in this cold dark miserable world we live in, mm. <laughs> but uh, the less cynical version is like thinking about that in my own life and like what does what does that mean for just living and being a less negative person, <laughs> being more oh, optimistic. It's like a, you took that kernel to heart. I did. Therapy. Well, that's what I was just about to say. I, you know, I went through comps. I went to therapy. I'm still going to therapy. You know, it helps. It it helps me uh, contextualize. Yeah. Um, you know, I oftentimes call myself on my own bullshit. And what happens is, of course, you know, we live right. Right. We live. Yeah, we write stuff, but we live, and that living's what makes its way into the writing and. Um, you know, if right now I'm really focused on staying focused on moments and staying focused on being, um, present in those positive and, you know, look, my privilege allows me to do that probably right. a lot more than a lot of other people. I get that. Um, but you know, also like, um, you know, I'm, I'm engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about, we've talked about having a baby. Um, you know, um, we, you know, even down to like the wallpaper that's on the walls, like going through that act of like putting that up so that we get joy out of that every single day. Yeah. You know, like those are the things that I'm really like, those are all moments in this shit that like, if I was really cynical, why would I even have a conversation about possibly having a kid? Why would right. we, why get married? You know, why celebrate joyful things in your own life? If it, if you only see the shit that's around it, you right. know I mean? There's so much bad, right? I mean, you know, we have a world, we have a culture that like tries to is trying to actively kill out kill off brown people yeah that thinks that native americans are dead already right um you know i don't need to tell you all about <laughs> about your about your experiences uh, yeah. um yeah you know um so yeah. yeah i mean i've got it a little bit easy when it comes to that but like i think that if we don't focus on those positive moments we we're gonna suffer so bad in our yeah. mental health and it's well, and then you won't have the energy to fight for the to make the thing. better, yeah. th- make the shit better. Yeah, because if you're not right, you're not helping other people. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Man, you really turned out with that nugget of wisdom. At Took the us end. to church. Yeah. <laughs> and or therapy. That's great. Uh, everyone go to therapy. Yeah, I was going to say, right. I like one more than the other. Yeah. <laughs> yes, go, go to therapy. <laughs> go to therapy. Let's, let me be very clear. I think you should go to therapy. Yeah, it's not um, fair. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not sometimes. Yeah, sometimes true. <laughs> sometimes I don't want to get I literally just go and cry for an hour. And I, when I got a new therapist, I had to tell her, like, I'm just going to cry. And I will talk to you through the crying, but I just will always be crying. Yeah. Like, it, that's just going to be the standard. As soon as your door closes, I will start to weep. And then when I leave, I will stop weeping. <laughs> and that is how it is going to happen. Thank you for that. And thank yeah. you for providing me this service. Here is my money. Yeah. <laughs> Next week, same time? Great. Uh, Perfect. Anyway, Shane, thank anyway, you so much for thank being you for here. Thank you for coming out. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for reading your delight. stories through the cat's 
munching on treats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, I, I almost stopped. I almost stopped. I was like, wait, do we have to take that over? Yeah. No, so it, before the podcast, Shane was trying to feed our cats treats and they were not having it. And then some point in the middle, they remembered they were on the floor yeah. and just started chomping them all around us. Yeah. And it probably didn't get picked up on the mics. But no, it but it was funny. distracting. Yeah. It was distracting. I it felt was fun bad. for the whole family. Yeah. It was wholesome. It was wholesome fun. Mm-hmm. And we paid nothing for it. Amazing. This has all been free. Um, all right, Shane. Thank you. And goodbye, everybody. Um, do you have any social Fuck. media? <laughs> Where can, Shane, people where can people find you if you want to be you. found? Um, you can find my stories online at uh, Literary Orphans. You can find it at Passages North. I've got one up at Midwestern Gothic that you got to search for a little bit over at Bull Men's <laughs> Fiction. Those are some of the stories. The Bull Men fi- Fiction one is the newest story. It's a story called Googly Eyes. Maybe read that one. <laughs> cool. And yeah, we'll put we'll a link, link to this story yeah, too. Yeah. Okay, cool. You can follow Shitty First Drafts at SFD Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You're like stage momming me over there. Twitter. <laughs> and smile. And, and, <laughs> and open your eyes. And sfdpodcast at gmail.com. Ding, ding. (laughs) That was my smile shining. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) Wow. We're so good at this. drive my car to go get a fucking milkshake yeah i don't have to worry about getting arrested or anything yeah, i just yeah, go yeah, get a milkshake yeah, yeah, yeah and like that shit is i don't know like that's that's the that's the path i'm on right now yeah that's that's <laughs> i think age and wisdom coming yeah, for you that's uh, 35